and welcome back to Cood Street. In the latest of our 10 Minutes With series, today we're talking to award-winning writer, critic, and good friend of the podcast, James Bradley. Hey, James. Hey, Jonathan. How are you? I'm not bad. I'm staying indoors. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there's a lot of that going around. It is a little bit. It's like it's, it's tricky. It's a really beautiful day outside, and you kind of... <laughs> when, and I've been out... I've done my mandated period of exercise, and now I'm getting on with other things. How about yourself? Uh, I had to go into the shopping this morning, and then I went for a walk this afternoon. But, um, you know, otherwise I've been inside. It's been very rewarding. <laughs> <laughs> so what we're talking about are what you've been reading and some other things. So tell me, what have you been reading lately? I have just this minute finished the sixth of the Adrian McKinty's Sean Duffy books, mm-hmm. which is the police at the station and they don't look friendly, um, which is, I've, I've kind of read all of them in a great rush, really, since the end of last year. Um, and they're fantastic. I mean, they're, they're just, I, I know that I've hooked you on them as well, but they are such funny, intelligent, you know, kind of sleek little crime novels. Mm. I don't know. But there's a kind of wit to them which I really like. Like Duffy's such a funny character, mm. and and I think I, I think I said to you when I was first reading them, one of the things I found fascinating about them is the characters clearly almost exactly the same age as the two of us, and yes. you know you you have a real sense, particularly in the early ones. I felt that he was mining. I guess McKinty was clearly mining his childhood, and while growing up in Adelaide was nothing like growing up in Belfast. It was that sense that there was a kind of uh, I guess a kind of world that they were in, which, which you recognise, which I found really fascinating. So yeah, no, no, they're, they're terrific books. I've really enjoyed them. Yeah. Well, and as you know, I mean, it overlaps for me because the books which are set in Belfast, I mean, the first of them, uh, The Cold, Cold Ground, I think is set in about 1981 or 1982. Mm-hmm. And they are about a five-minute walk from my parents' house where I, where I grew up, like from age birth till four or four years old. So it it really echoes and resonates in very odd ways. I was talking to another friend that I hooked these books on, uh, Ellen Clages, and she was saying one thing she loved was she was getting into a lot of the tangential research, looking at what all this, the, the, the language meant because she wasn't familiar with it. But they're not books that you need to learn in order to appreciate. It's one of that sort, those sort of classic things in a crime series. And there's a couple of things I love about the series. One is they're all 300 pages long. These aren't big, long books. Uh the second is they have a fantastic sense of place. They're sent in Carrick, Fergus in Belfast in Northern Ireland, around the Carrick police station and the crimes that happen. They have a fairly engaging, actually very engaging, uh, protagonist in Sean Duffy, who has seemed, it seems to me, a remarkable appetite for drugs and alcohol that he, that, where he can still function. <laughs> yes. And he's, absurdly well-read and has a diverse range of musical taste and all of this kind of thing in a way that's almost unbelievable but very appealing. And then the the additional cast, which is that critical part for a crime series. you know. So the other officers at the uh, station around him are also engaging, uh, particularly the ones that actually persist through the six books because, I mean, I saw you in February and I've read six of them since then. (laughs) You know, which is insane. You know, I, I read an unnamed large science fiction novel that you know about, and then I read six of these, and they're, they've been fantastic. And I'm already sort of like, the seventh one we know is written and edited and, edited. <laughs> and ready to go out and would have gone out last year if it hadn't been delayed by unexpected success for the author, which is great, but still. So I guess we'll get it in September and then 
because it's a new trilogy, so whatever, and we're all set up. But this one that you mentioned is sort of like the next crime. And I guess the thing that makes it hard to talk about in isolation is that it's the arc of the life of the detective that also drives the arc of the story. You know, because in the beginning he's a loner, taking drugs, staying up late. Now, ten years later in his life, he's starting to settle down. I mean, his career is the shape it is and that, that it's going to be, despite at times it looks like it's going to take a different angle. Then he, there's his private life, and that's becoming organized and becoming a greater priority for him. And how that goes ahead, and of course what that signals on for this this, this next trilogy. So, yeah. Yeah, I mean, I also think they're incredibly funny, which is yeah, the thing that, that I find frustrating. I mean, they're actually like laugh out loud mm-hmm. funny, you know, repeatedly in each book. But in the other thing that's very fun, particularly in the early books, is that sense that they, he's cleverly kind of inserted them into real events. So, you know, occasionally you can kind of see the connection rolling up towards you, but you know, the character's kind of involved in large scale historical events, you know, and, and it's done in a very seamless and clever way. I, I, look, I think they're very, very yeah. clever books. I've enjoyed them enormously. So I, I would actually echo your recommendation, obviously, very strongly. So tell yeah. me, since you are – well, if you're talking to other people who might be shut in or who just want something to read, what would you recommend as the kind of thing that's engaging to read? Um Look, I've got a couple of recommendations. What I was going to say is I've actually just read a novel that I really, really loved, which is the book I read, I think, before I read this most recent Sean Duffy, which is a new book by a woman called Lily King. It's called Riders and Lovers, uh, and it's about a woman who – it's set in the 90s, I think um, – and it's about a woman who is – you know, she, she, she's, her mother's just died. She's been trying to write a novel. Um, her life is in this kind of mess. And it's just the funniest, warmest, you know, most, you know, those books you read and you just, I mean, I cried three times while reading it. <laughs> I laughed out loud. It's just, it's a gorgeous book. And I, in fact, just convinced a couple of friends to read it. And they had exactly the same reaction. They're like, this book is wonderful. I love it. You know, so if you're looking for something to read, I'd recommend Lily King's Writers and Lovers, which I really, really loved. Um, I don't know. I mean, I think that question about what you read locked up is really interesting, isn't it? I mean, I I think lots of people would kind of recommend. There's an awful, you see people saying, "Oh, I want kind of comfort reads because I feel stressed. I want I want things that are reassuring." And in a weird kind of way, that's not what I think I. Well, what I find myself skewing to at the moment, but also not what I skew to when I'm in a bad place. Like I, you know, I find that when everything's too hard, I find myself, you know, reading like, you know, biographies of the Beatles and David Bowie because they're kind of reassuring. But, but, you know, because there might be something I don't already know. Um, but, um, (laughs) but (laughs) it's amazing how that story can be interesting for the 33rd time. But, um, but I mean, I find that I find myself reading often things like, nature writing because mm-hmm. i mean i think there's something about that precision of observation and that in sense that there is a kind of ethic contained in the way you interact with the world is something that i always find very reassuring but also i mean i find often i want books which i love books which are about you know kind of empty worlds places that have been emptied out but also books that are about kind of dislocation and strangeness but have that kind of intensity of vision so i mean i was thinking i mean you know Perhaps someone like Rachel Cusk on the kind of literary side, mm-hmm. but, you know, perhaps on the science fictional side, you know, there'd be things like, you know, Simon Stalinhag's books, which would be fantastic to read at the moment because they've got that sense 
that sense of the mundane mixed up with the strange. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. That sense of of reality just cracking open and the kind of the weirdness sitting next to the everyday. And I think that's kind of one of the things that I love about all those stories of emptied worlds and, you know, kind of post-apocalyptic landscapes and all of those kinds of things. So, I mean, I think I'd be looking for books that have got both that kind of intensity of vision but also that sense of strangeness and dislocation, um, which I'd be going to, I think, at the moment. Fair enough. I have to admit, I was just reading a book called, I think it's This Is Chance, which is about the Anchorage earthquake of 1964, where they had a 9.6 Richter scale earthquake that went on for four and a half minutes. And is that the one where you got the wave that was 500 meters high that went through the, went through the bay up there and that people actually survived? There were people out on the bay in boats mm-hmm. and they lived through the wave that was hundreds of meters high. And, and the thing I like most about it that pertains and what I was engaged by pertained to, to, to now is there's this moment right after the earthquake. I mean, you can imagine 1964, Anchorage, Alaska is a city, but it's not, you know, it's quite isolated by modern standards. And the U.S. government in assistance, one of the things that they send are a hundred social researchers who go around and quiz everybody on what they're doing. And they sent them because it was part of their nuclear war research. They're trying to work out how people would react in the event of oh, an actual nuclear attack. And what they expected to find was everybody would look after themselves, would run off and, you know, like just, just get out, deal with themselves, not worry about anything else. What they actually found was people were drawn to whatever sort of situation where they could help or assist or get involved, they did that. And when they were quizzed about it, it'd be like, well, why are you out here? Why, as a amateur mountaineer, are you now doing all of the search and rescue through shattered buildings? It'd be kind of like puzzled look like, well, because uh, it's there to be done. Yeah. And then it, and the most they could come back would be like a, oh, well, I guess it's what people from my area do. But then in subsequent research, that they found that wherever anybody was, that whenever something happened, it would be like, oh, well, that's what people from Alaska, from Florida, from somewhere else. It's just what we people like us do because what you find actually is in extremes, people actually come together to try and actually deal with things that are right in front of them. In fact, the frustration now is that the way you come together is by staying apart, and that's the challenge, but that kind of motivation is there. And that's been a very heartening and rewarding part of reading this book. Well, I mean, and I think that's one of the things that's really interesting about the moment is that you've got people both are kind of turned to government, people saying, look, I, you know, the government needs to do something about this. So a reassertion of that idea that, you know, kind of communal and collective action really matters, but also just a kind of a sense of kindness and empathy and looking after your neighbours is something that really matters, that kind of idea of that idea of community, which is really, really important. And it's fascinating, isn't it, because it is such it is such a a kind of rejection of the kind of mindset that sits underneath all of that kind of prepping, you know. So, you know, we're, what we're going to do is we're going to buy guns and, you know, store, you know, stockpile food and, you know, look after, you know, the kind of nuclear group of us mm. and not worry about all of you. What you're actually seeing is people saying, so how do I help other people? And yeah, as you exactly. say, at the moment, the big way you do that is by not going outside, by not by not kind of being with other people. But, you know, you see a lot of people doing stuff about saying, well, I'll go to the shop for my neighbours who can't go out. I will, you know, my, my neighbours are old. My neighbours yeah. are not 
well. You know, I will do that for them. And I think that's that's been really, really fascinating because it is such a rejection of, I guess, the kind of prevailing political and economic philosophy of the last 40 years, which is that we are all individuals, we should all be striving, you know, and allowing the market to, you, yeah. you know what I mean? So, I mean, you've got this kind of... Oh, yeah. And I suspect one thing, I mean, I suspect a lot of negative things will probably come out of this as well politically, but one of the things that's clearly going to come about, come out of it is people saying government matters. Like, you know, having mm-hmm. good services, you know, and I think that's going to be really, really fascinating. It will be. And how we protect government as an expression of the people rather than simply the distorted thing it can become when it becomes a, a, pro, a, a distortion of, uh, special interests. Yeah. So anyway, Absolutely. okay. So I've talked about all that, and then quickly, not quickly, but what about what you've been working on and stuff? What's what's happening in James Bradley land, James? Um, I'm working on a couple of things. I'm working on a new book, uh, although it seems a bit weird at the moment. <laughs> and writing, I'm in fact writing, and uh, well, when I am managing to work at the moment, I've been working, in fact, on a long essay about the Cocos Islands, where I was earlier in the year, which is when I saw you. Yeah. Um, about plastics and various other things. Um, but I've got a book coming out in four weeks. I'm one of these lucky people with a book coming out <laughs> in the middle of all of this, um, uh, which is called um, Ghost Species. It's out with Hamish Hamilton in Australia. Uh, it is about – it kind of begins now. It covers about 20 years, uh, and it is about a project where they – clone a Neanderthal child and it's that child growing up against the backdrop of a kind of collapsing world. Um, yeah, I mean, I, it's actually a book I feel you have different relationships to different books you write. <laughs> and, this is, and this is one of the ones where you know, it's quite a personal book. It's actually a very personal book in lots of ways, but it's a, it's a book with I don't know. It's a book where I care very much about the characters and where, you know, I don't think it's a cheerful book. I'm not going to pretend <laughs> it's a cheerful book, but it is a book that's very much about trying to grapple with a series of questions about, you know, the inevitability of where we are, um, about trying to kind of strip away denial, about thinking about, you know, the things the degree to which there are things out of our control around ourselves, but also about, you know, that, that boundary between the human and the non-human and, um, and I guess our relationship to kind of the natural world. So, yeah. so yeah, no, it's, a, it's a book that I'm very proud of. If that and I, I can say w- without talking out of school that on another one of her 10 minutes with episodes with Ian Mont, which also, as is typical of these things, don't go for 10 minutes. Uh, he was just recommending Ghost Species as a book that oh. people should be running around and grabbing. That's which I would nice. too. And we'll put links to hopefully people can find that it's a great book. Well, look, thank you for making time to chat with us. We're, going to, we're trying to keep these fairly short for people so that their, their whole days aren't eaten up. But thank you, and we hope to talk to you again soon. Yeah, fantastic. Thank you for having me. <laughs>